Turn, if you would, to Philippians chapter 1. We started the book of Philippians last week, and we will pick it up today, starting in verse 12. We had a good week last week. We went up to Colorado Springs to see uh, grandson number one. We spent the week up there and saw a whole lot of snow. Uh, next week, we're going to be in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Uh, you may wonder why, since we don't have any grandchildren who live in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Well, we're going there to babysit. One of my uh, daughters is the uh, matron of honor at a wedding, and her husband is doing the ceremony. So we're going to go babysit their son, uh, our grandson, while they're off doing wedding stuff. So we'll be leaving actually on Wednesday to go up there. So last week we started uh, the book of Philippians. We didn't spend a lot of time talking about uh, Paul since we had just finished the book before, Ephesians, and we spent a lot of time in the introduction talking about Paul. But in verse 6 of chapter 1, we saw that I am sure, this is Paul talking, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is trying to encourage the church at Philippi. Paul started the church. Paul is now in prison. So he acknowledges the fact that this is a difficult time for them because he is in prison. And so you would expect that they would uh, be worried about him. So he encourages them that no matter what happens, God, who started something in their lives, that is, he justified, he saved them, is going to bring it to completion, whether Paul is there or not. And we're going to have a little discussion today about Paul's status, because Paul is going to say, you know, if I live, if I die, it's not that big a deal to me. So, picking up in verse 12 of chapter 1, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So, what's happened to him? Well, we just mentioned it. Paul has been arrested. He's been arrested by the Romans. Uh, at first, he was kind of put into protective, uh, protective custody. The Jews want to kill him. And Paul has said, I appeal to Caesar, and they have carted him off to Rome. So he is a prisoner because of his preaching of the gospel. But Paul tells them, I want you to know, I want everybody to know that the situation that I am in right now, that is being a prisoner, has happened. It has allowed him to advance the gospel message. And here's the interesting thing that we have to think about. When bad things happen in our lives, when difficult times, when uh, diseases, uh, hard financial times, when those things happen in our lives, do we see them as an opportunity to advance the gospel? I'm not sure I would say that's uh, how I view these things, but everything that was happening in Paul's life, he viewed as an opportunity to advance the gospel. So, well, why do we know that's true? Why did Paul know that was true? Well, if you remember what he says in the book of Romans in chapter 8, and we know, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, that's a verse that we quote a lot because it sounds so wonderful because we think what it means is everything's going to work out the way I want it to. 
But that's not what it says. It only works if we allow God to define what good is. And Paul recognized that. Paul recognized that this world may not be what we want it to be, but God can use it to accomplish his purposes. In fact, if you back up uh, 10 verses in Romans chapter 8, 11 verses to verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed for us. He is acknowledging that the difficult times that we see isn't worth worrying about because we know that all things work together for good. Not that everything will be what we want them to be. Paul in prison. Paul in prison is acknowledging the fact that he is using this opportunity to advance the gospel message. Here's the, well, question for all of us. Can we, in difficult times, have the faith to believe that God can use these things to accomplish his purpose? Paul certainly did. Paul said, I know that this is being used to advance the gospel. Verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now, we've talked about this before in uh, many lessons because I just find it so fascinating. You know, here you are a Jew. I mean a real Jew. And you are handcuffed, you are chained every day to a Roman soldiers, the Romans who are occupying your country. Can you imagine the hatred that the average Jew would have against the average Roman? I mean, it wasn't like these guards were nice guys. These guards were part of the imperial guard. They were the toughest of the tough. And you, a good Jew, whose country is being occupied by the Romans, are chained to one of them all day long. You and I would go, ugh, that's really bad. That's horrible. We want nothing to do with that. But what does Paul do? Ha, I've got a captive person for four hours chained to me and they can't get away. They don't stand a chance. You see, if we look at the bad situations in our life and say, this is wretched, this is horrible, I'm going to get bitter, then you're not going to see the opportunity that at the other end of that chain, somebody is waiting to hear the gospel message. And I can tell you, I don't, I don't see things this way. I don't understand at times why God is causing certain things to happen. But Paul, in his faith, recognized that I've got this guy. I'm not preaching at some big group in Asia Minor where he starts all these churches. I'm teaching this guy and he can't get away. So for a four-hour shift, Paul has a captive audience. You know how this is going to play out, right? Paul starts to speak. The guy slaps him and says, I'm not going to have anything to do with whatever you're talking about, you filthy whatever. And Paul says, okay, let me tell you about Jesus. And he slaps him again. And he says, I'm not going to listen. And Paul says, yeah, okay, let me tell you about Jesus. And pretty soon, this Roman soldier goes, here I am slapping the fool out of you. 
and you keep wanting to talk about the love of Jesus, why don't you just go ahead and tell me about the love of Jesus? And Paul says, here it is. Jesus Christ died for our sins that we can be made right with God. And the Roman soldier goes, hmm. And all of a sudden, the imperial guard is beginning to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. So you, cause you see, you, you, you save one, God saves one through the teaching of Paul and he goes back and tells another one. And guess what? Four hours later, Paul gets another one to work on and he goes back and tells people, maybe some of them just slapped him the whole time. Maybe some ignored him. Maybe some slept through it. But enough of them responded to the gospel that Paul was able to say, you know what? Even in this difficult times, what is happening to me really serves to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. I mean, at some point, they're going to ask you, what are you here for? What did you do? And he's going to say, I preached the gospel, and here it is. Everyone in that vicinity, the Imperial Guard and all the others, are hearing the gospel message. His imprisonment is for Christ. He didn't kill anybody. He didn't rob anybody. He didn't do any of that. All he did was preach the gospel of Christ. Remember what it says in the Sermon on the Mount at the beginning where we have the Beatitudes? Blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness sake. You know, if I do something horrible, if I'm a jerk and somebody beats me up, well, I got beat up. There is no blessing associated with that. But when we are doing what God would have us to do, and we are persecuted for that, God has promised a blessing associated with that. As I said, I don't know about you, but I have trouble understanding, grasping that God does, in fact, work all things for good. Even when the external circumstances don't look anything like we would want them to look. I mean, don't you know that Paul is sitting here talking to the one, wishing that he were back talking to hundreds at a time? But you know, that's where God wanted him. That's where God put him at that point in time. And Paul was faithful. Paul had the faith to acknowledge the fact that the gospel was being advanced. And here Paul is encouraging the church at Philippi by telling them, it doesn't matter where I am. It doesn't matter where I am. God's work is being done. And most of the brothers, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You know, this is not the normal thing that happens. You know, if uh, some totalitarian government grabs the leader of some group, the normal expected result is that the other members of that group would kind of go underground. They'd hide. They'd be quiet. 
But what we're seeing here is that the imprisonment of Paul is making others bold to speak the gospel. It's like, well, if Paul is willing to do that, if Paul is advancing the gospel even while he's in prison, guess what? I might as well go preach the gospel. And most of the brothers, having been become confident in the Lord, they're not confident because of Paul. They're watching Paul and watching how he responds, how the Lord is working through that situation. And Paul says they are more bold than they were before to speak the word without fear. We'll talk about that word fear in just a moment. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, but sincerely, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. What is this that he's talking about? Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from good will. Now, there's a lot of discussion about who these people are that are preaching the gospel for envy and rivalry. Um, when we were coming back from Big Ben, we listened to our uh, one of our daughter's sermons from her church. Uh, we had missed it because we'd been gone on Sunday, so we list, uh, listened to it. And uh, they had actually just started a series on the book of Philippians. And he talked about this passage, and he said, these people who are mocking Paul and his teaching. Can you imagine what Paul is teaching? He's talking about some Jew who died and rose again. I mean, can you believe such a thing? It's kind of a mockery, okay? And that may be the right answer. I'm not sure. It's a difficult passage. But most of the commentaries will lead you to believe that these are people who are actually attempting to preach Christ, but they're doing it for bad motives. They could be the Judaizers. Remember the Judaizers from uh, the book of Galatians, where they would come in and say, well, Paul's kind of teaching the gospel, but let me tell you the entire truth. Let me tell you that you have to be a good Jew in order to be a good Christian. So while, yes, you're saved by grace, that's true, but let's talk about circumcision. Let's talk about the dietary laws. And the entire book of Galatians is, deals with that particular group of people. We know that in the uh, book of Acts, uh, Peter runs into a group who are preaching the gospel, but they're doing it just to get money. I mean, they figure, hey, this is a lucrative business. I can become a preacher and I can make some money out of this. And Paul is telling us that there are people who are preaching the gospel for the right motive, and there are those who are preaching the gospel for the wrong motive. And here Paul is in prison, and he can't go out there and fight these people. He can't go out there and say, well, you know, you shouldn't be saying that. Rather, he's in prison, and all he's hearing, he's thinking, these people are doing this just to irritate me. They are doing it because I'm in prison and I can't respond. But you know what? That's not how Paul responds. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and 
rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love. Let's just start with the good group first, okay? Why should anybody preach or teach the gospel? There's only one motivation, and that is love. God so loved that he sent his son. God so loved us that he saved us. And out of the love that he has presented to us, we out of love go share the gospel with other people. We share the gospel, we teach the word out of love. That's the good motive. But we as human beings acknowledge the fact that oftentimes our motives are kind of mixed together. We have a little bit of good, a little bit of bad, but the proper motivation, the motivation that drives Paul to preach the gospel is the love of Christ. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. Even though I, Paul, am in prison, they know that I'm here defending the gospel. I am doing it for the sake of the gospel. I am doing it out of love. But the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. They think that here we are, say the Judaizers, here we are going behind Paul and telling the people that they have to be good Jews, that they have to follow the law, and they're thinking they're doing that just so they can afflict me in my imprisonment. They are preaching the gospel out of selfish ambition. They want to do it because they want power, they want influence, they want money. I mean, let's face it, even in this world today, there are, well, there are people, I will not give a description about how much, there are people who are preaching the gospel as a money-making machine. You know, you see them on TV, you see them here or there. I am using the gospel message to make money. I've told you before, there's an old Steve Martin movie called Leap of Faith, where he plays a, um, a tent revivalist, a faith healer, and he knows it's a con. And if you ask him, he'll tell you it's a con. But he's doing it to make money. And I always liked the movie. First off, I liked the black gospel music in it. But I also liked the, the uh, fact that at the end of the movie, a young man is actually healed. And Steve Martin knows he didn't do it. And it's just interesting. But he was doing it out of selfish ambition to get something out of it. You know, I might think that I can get into this group and if I'm in that group and I'm the leader of this group, I can have power and influence over people. We see this all the time. So we have the people preaching the gospel out of love. We have those doing it out of selfish ambition. And what does Paul say? Well, I know what I would say. God zapped that group. That group is going to hell in a handbasket and we need to zap them. All of you, but what does Paul say? So what? What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Now this is interesting because, you know, 
if you're in a congregation and somebody in that congregation is actually teaching false uh, material, um, the elders or leadership of that organization do need to step in and say, no, we're not going to allow that teaching in our church. We have an oversight of people within the congregation. But Paul is kind of above that right now. He is saying, you know what? At this point, as long as Christ is being proclaimed, I'll just live with that. That is good enough. You see, Paul is not interested and whether he's the top dog. They're moving into my territory. They're taking over my territory. They're trying to steal my converts. They're trying to do this. You know what? He's above that right now. All he's interested in is Christ being proclaimed. And when Christ is talked about, Paul says, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice because Christ is being discussed. Sometimes it's being discussed for the wrong motives. Sometimes it's being discussed out of love. And that's better, by the way. But you know what? As long as Christ is being discussed, God will work a miracle in the lives of the people. So what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Now, we remember, right? Paul is in prison. Paul is in prison, and Paul in prison is rejoicing because Christ's name is being spread throughout the world. I don't know about you. I have a little difficulty rejoicing in prison. But you know, Paul's had experience at this. Paul has had experience at this at Philippi. Remember, he was thrown in jail and he and his buddies were having a worship service in the middle of the night in the jail cell and the doors flew open. Remember the story, right? We mentioned it last week. The Philippian jailer said, oh no, all the prisoners have left. I'd better kill myself. And Paul says, don't worry, we're all here. We're just worshiping God. So, Paul, in the midst of this difficult situation, in the midst of this imprisonment, is able to say, I rejoice because the name of Christ is being spread throughout the world. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He is confident that he will be delivered from the situation that we are in, that he is in. Now, let's think about, though, what that deliverance might look like. And that's what he's going to talk about in just a moment. So, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. We're going to look at two options right here. Two possibilities. Remember, Christ will use this because of your prayers to bring about my deliverance. What does that deliverance look like to Paul? Two answers. Deliverance in life. He's removed. He's, he's allowed to leave the prison. Or death. And what Paul is going to tell us is he just doesn't care which it is. My eager expectation is that I, 
that I will serve Christ in my body while I'm here in the flesh. I will serve Christ, whether it is by life or by death. That is his eager expectation that either way, Christ will be honored. It isn't, well, Christ will be honored if I get what I want, or that if I'm saved and brought out of this prison, then Christ will be honored. Christ is going to be honored, and Paul is very adamant that that is what he is looking for. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed. It is interesting to because, you know, you read back in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, where he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He wants the church at Rome, where he's writing the letter to, the letter uh, of, of Romans, he's writing him and he's saying, you know, I'm not at all ashamed of the gospel. And here in Philippians, he's writing to the church at Philippi and say, my hope and expectation is that I will not be shamed, that I will have the courage to persevere and do what Christ wants me to do, whether it's living or it's dying. And let's talk about this. Verse 21, one of the most famous verses in the book of Philippians. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I live, I live for Christ. If I die, then I really gain. What does he gain if he dies? Well, he goes to heaven. I mean, let's look at this for a while. Paul has been beaten. Paul has been beaten. Paul has been beaten. Paul has been shipwrecked. He's been whipped. He's been imprisoned. It's not the kindest, nicest, most comfortable life. But he's doing that for the gospel. But he knows that when he goes to heaven, for him personally, it's gain. It's a benefit to him. If he can be set free from the difficulties that he's experiencing in this life. So for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, as I thought about this verse, actually for the last two weeks, what kept going through my head is which of these is harder? To live for Christ or to acknowledge the fact that dying itself is not the end, but it is the benefit that comes after a life lived for Christ. You know, sometimes I think, you know, yeah, dying, you get to go to heaven, life is good, great thing. Other times I think, am I really living? How am I living? Am I living for Christ in what I do? To Paul, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I am living for Christ. And as long as I'm in this world, I will serve and I will do what Christ wants me to do. But you know what? If Christ takes me home, that's okay too. If I continue to live, I continue to serve. If I die, I go to heaven. It is interesting because here Paul is in prison. Have I mentioned that? Here Paul is in prison. You know, the Romans 
look like they claim to have control over Paul. We can kill you anytime we want to. And Paul says, doesn't bother me at all. I am not concerned about that in the least. I've told you this story before. I read an article about a, uh, a pastor uh, behind the Iron Curtain back during the Cold War, and he was arrested for preaching the gospel. And he said that, and he, he was kicked out of the country eventually, but they were going to kill him. And he said, once the guards figured out that I didn't care whether they killed me or not, they didn't know what to do with me. I mean, if we kill him, he's going to be a martyr. And if we don't kill him, he's going to be a nuisance. And so they just kicked him out of the country because he wasn't afraid to die for his faith. It is interesting, in Psalm 118, verse 5, we are told, The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. In the Bible, we talk about fear in a couple of different ways. We talk about the fear of the Lord, this awe and respect that we have for God. And we're told that is the beginning of wisdom. That is the beginning of knowledge. That is a necessary component for the godly life. But we also talk about the fear of man. If we start worrying what those around us believe, then all of a sudden we do not preach the gospel. We don't share the truth because we're worried what people will think of us if we do that. So in one sense, it's either going to be the fear of God or it's going to be the fear of man. You're going to fear one of them. And Paul has made his decision. For me to live is for Christ. For me to die, great thing, I go to heaven. He has no fear of what the Romans can do to him. He's sitting there hand-chained to that Roman soldier and the Roman so soldier may knock him around a little bit, but you know what? Paul is going to share the gospel with that person. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul is in this quandary. How many of us can actually be in this quandary where if I live, if I die, it doesn't make any difference? Now, we need to jump in at this point and make one thing very clear. It is not our decision when we die. God controls our destiny and God is going to determine when we die. That's why the church has always viewed suicide as such a horrible thing, because it's taking from God and pretending that we have the power over life and death. It's pretending because it's not really real. Paul is saying, I'm going to trust God if I live. I'm going to trust God if I die. And guess what? I'll take either one. If I live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor. If I'm continuing to live, if I'm continuing to minister, whether it's just this one Roman soldier at a time, or if God releases me and allows me to preach, 
And church history tells us that he was released. He was able to go spread the gospel to new places, and later he was killed for the faith. But it didn't matter to him. Yet, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart. He wants to go home to heaven. If we truly understood the glories of heaven, don't you think that that would be a normal desire? This desire to, well, I like my family, I like my friends, I like the stuff that I'm doing, but in reality, I'd give it up to go to heaven. That's what he's saying. I am hard-pressed. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. Now, we ought to have just a few words about that statement of be with Christ. Why do you want to go to heaven? Why do you want to go to heaven? You know, we've had uh, imagery presented to us of magnificent banquets, and that's great. You know, streets of gold, that's great. No, no more pain, that's wonderful. Seeing our loved ones that have departed years before, that's great and wonderful. Why does Paul want to go to heaven? To see Christ, to be with Christ. Not that all that other stuff isn't real and not that it'll be, I mean, it will be great. But what Paul wants more than anything else is to be with Christ. That's what he's driving for. That's what he is living for in the life when he's writing this and his expectation of heaven. And to be with Christ for that is far better Anything with Christ is better than anything without Christ. That is how Paul is living his life. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He's talking to the church at Philippi and he's saying, I still have some teaching for you. I still have some things that God wants me to do. And so, as long as God leaves me here, I'm going to write the letters. I'm going to send you the information. I hope, I hope that I will come see you again. He's going to mention this in just a moment. Um, I'm not sure if he ever did. We don't really know after his arrival in Rome because the book of Acts ends. But his expectation is, his hope is that he would see them again. But you know what? If he does, great. If he doesn't, great also. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. When you become a believer, when you become a believer, why doesn't God just take you home at that point? Well, it's because God has something for you to do. God has a mission that you are in the position to accomplish that other people may not be able to accomplish, but you can. And he wants you to do that. And Paul acknowledges, I still have work to be done. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. For your benefit, for the benefit of the church at Philippi, I'll stay so that you can continue to grow and that you can continue to have joy in your faith. Now, it's interesting to think that here we are, you know, coming up on 2,000 years later, 
And we're reading this and we think, okay, that was really good that he was doing this for the church at Philippi because he had started that church. He had friends. He knew those people. But you know what? We today, reading the book of Philippians, we are benefiting in the same way that the church at Philippi was, that Paul remained alive long enough to write this book. And why do we study the book? For our progress and joy in the faith, that we would grow in our faith and that we would grow in joy in our faith. Now, think about this. Did I mention Paul is in prison? And he's telling the church, my imprisonment, should bring you joy, not because I'm in prison, but because the work of Christ is being advanced. And this is a demonstration why you also should be bold in the presentation of the gospel to others. And you know what? That's what's happening. That they would progress in their faith and that they would have joy in that faith. He doesn't want them hiding in the basement because, oh, Paul's in prison, what do we do? He wants them to have joy because God is ministering to Paul and God is ministering to them. There's nothing to be sad in this, Paul says. Paul says, if I live, great. If I die, greater. And if that's the idea, the church can have joy regardless of what happens. So that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. As I said, this is his desire that he would come to them again, that he would come back to them. He would get to renew those relationships that he had. And why? So that Christ would receive the glory. Now, let's think about this. Here's Paul, the great Paul. Don't you think maybe he was thinking about his own glory a little bit? No. He was thinking about what brings glory to Christ. He's in prison. He's chained to a Roman soldier. And what is he worrying about? What brings glory to Christ? You know what? Sometimes that's not high on my list when I wake up in the morning. You know, I wake up in the morning and I think, okay, what do I have to do today? I'll get it done. I'll do it the best I can. Paul wakes up in the morning and says, another day to bring glory to Christ. So Paul is at the point where he says, if I live, that brings glory to Christ. If I die, that brings glory to Christ. Guess what? In both cases, Christ receives the glory so here he has been talking about the fact that whether he lives or he dies, to Paul is not that big a deal. And he's writing this to encourage them. Because you know, he knows that at some point he's going to die, whether through natural causes or unnatural causes. And he's going to die. And until that moment, he's going to be doing the work of Christ. And he wants them to be encouraged whether he lives or whether he dies. And you know what? As you read the scripture, some people lived and some people died. Why? To bring glory to God and glory to Christ. I'm always reminded 
of that wonderful story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know the story. They were told to bow down to the statue and they wouldn't do it. And so they are thrown into the fiery furnace. But before they're thrown into the fiery furnace, the king comes to him and says, you know, why don't you just kneel a little bit and we'll get it over with and there won't be any problem. And they said, no. And they tell the king, we know that God is able to save us. We know that. But then they say, but if not, if God chooses not to, you need to know, King, that we're still not going to bow down to you. Now, we know that God did intervene and save them in that fiery furnace. But we also know that there were other times in Scripture where God didn't intervene. Stephen, a deacon in the early church, was stoned to death. Why didn't God intervene? Because God had a purpose to get the church to scatter so the gospel would go to the ends of the earth. God had a purpose. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Stephen, and Paul, are all doing everything they can for the glory of God. But Paul tells the church at Philippi, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This is what he wants to hear about them, that they that they are walking in the gospel. Your manner of life may be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What does it mean that our life is worthy of the gospel? God has given us this magnificent gift, the gospel. And let's just suppose for a moment, we receive this magnificent gift. I mean, let's put this in earthly terms, okay? Somebody gives me a magnificent car, great automobile. I mean, the best of the best. And it's sitting there and I start throwing mud at it. I don't take care of it. I run the engine too fast. I never change the oil. I put cheap gas in it. I don't take care of it. I don't do anything. I just, I am not treating that gift as if it was of value to me. We need to acknowledge in our lives that the gospel is a valuable thing. So we need to walk a life. We need to walk in a manner. We need to live in a manner that shows that we count the gospel as being very valuable. So what does that life look like? Well, I would contend you need to read the entire New Testament to get that I mean, this is what we talked about in the last half of the book of Ephesians. You know, the whole put off, put on, that's what we need to do. But just to remind ourselves of a few things. What is a life that is worthy of the gospel? Well, first off, it is a life of faith. Remember our study of Hebrews. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. By faith, all of these men and women did magnificent things because they believed that God would fulfill the promises that he had given them. 
We need a life of faith. When we walk by faith, we demonstrate that the gospel is valuable to us. If we're not walking by faith, then we go, eh, it doesn't mean much to me. We need to live a life of obedience. If you love me, Christ says, you will keep my commandments. You know, Christ didn't save us so we could continue in our sin. We saw this in the book of Galatians. Remember that study? The bad list, the good list, we need the good list, and we do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. But we need to be obedient to the calling. We need to be obedient to what Christ has called us to do. And finally, a life of grace. Remember, we've had this discussion, and I'll repeat it many times because we need to hear it. Sometimes we begin to think that grace is something we need at the beginning of our Christian life, and then it's pretty much on our own. No, we need grace at the beginning, we need grace every day, and we need grace at the end. We are constantly in need of God's grace. But the scripture also says that we have received grace, therefore we need to show grace to those around us. You know, it's one thing to receive it, but to actually show grace to others, wow, that's a lot harder. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. In the book of Ephesians, as I said, there's three chapters on how to walk like that. So that whether I come or see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He is talking to the church at Philippi, and I, he says, I want to see you working together. Remember that list in the book of Ephesians, you know, one spirit, one God, one this, one that. Unity is what he is after. He wants to see that the church at Philippi is working together to spread the gospel. Don't get distracted, he's telling them, by all this other stuff. But rather, be of one spirit, because there is only one spirit. Be of one mind, thinking, not thinking like lockstep with each other, but thinking always of how to spread the gospel. And I may... Use the gifts that God has given me to spread the gospel one way, and you may do it a different way, but if we are of one mind, we're working together using the gifts and talents that God has given us. We're not going to be copies of each other, but we're of one spirit and one mind working side by side for the faith of the gospel. And that's what we're called to do. And not be frightened by anything in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them that their destruction, but uh, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. You see, Paul has opposition and he's going to tell them, I have opposition, you have opposition. Christ tells us this. They, they came after me, they're going to come after you. But don't be frightened by that. Because the fact that you are being persecuted clearly shows that they are headed toward destruction, but you are headed toward salvation. And all of that comes from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Why? Verse 30, because you are engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. I, Paul, 
am being persecuted, conflicted because of my faith. They're coming after me. And you, he tells the church of Philippi, have been granted for the sake of Christ that not only do you believe, but you shall also suffer for his sake. This is a hard thing for us to grasp because you see, we were born and raised, most of us, in 20th, 21st century America. And you know what? We don't like being persecuted for anything. We want our comfort. We want our uh, nice way of life. And we want people to be nice to us. And what Paul is saying, you, the church at Philippi, have been granted for the sake of Christ. You have been given this privilege to believe and to suffer. And guess what? They were. They suffered for the faith because the same people that came after me are going to come after you. And Paul says that is a blessing from God. Now, I don't want to be too um, negative about things, but I suspect that we might be living in a generation where there will be persecution of believers in this country for the faith. We know for a fact that there's persecution around the world. Today, there are people dying for the Christian faith. And just because we were raised in America doesn't mean we are necessarily immune from that. So what's the point of all of this lesson? We have finished chapter one of the book of Philippians. What is the point of all this? Whether I live or whether I die, I'm going to do it all to the glory of Christ. That is Paul's life. And guess what? That's what God is calling all of us to live. And I'll admit, I'll be the first to admit that, you know, the living is Christ. Sometimes I struggle with that. Dying would be a gain. Sometimes I struggle with that. But we need to accept the faith that God has given us and do all everything that we do for the glory of Christ and the glory of the gospel. Have a good week, and I will see you next week.